The Vikings lost in their preseason debut, but a lot of young players showed out, and that makes it all worth it. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. You like that on three, one, two, three. You, like it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun. Let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is a podcast listening app like SiriusXM or whatever. You can find it on YouTube uh, or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you so much to those of you who do listen to this show every single day. My hashtag every day or shout out if you can. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the Vikings lose 24 to 13 in Lumen Field uh, to the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, we don't care about the final score. It's a preseason game. doesn't count. What we care about is position battles, how young players showed out. And uh, also, you know, who won, who lost, who did well, who did poorly, winners and losers and all that. Um, so we will get into all of that. But let's start with some of the good news. Let's start with some of the, the, the players that showed out. And, and it's a lot of young guys that showed out, which is nice. The Vikings needed that young talent to really step up. And I think we're seeing a couple of those guys do exactly that. And let's start with Ty Chandler, the, uh, the, the starting running back for this game, um, ran hard, bowled people over, made reads quickly, knifed through gaps quickly. Uh, I think the offensive line, that second team offensive line, that was mostly the second teamers. It was Vidarian Lowe, Blake Brandell, uh, Schlotman, I think, was the center. Ed Ingram did start the game, and then he came out for Alan Ali after a couple of drives. And then, of course, Oli Udo bullied the Seahawks front quite a bit at the beginning of the game. And so when everybody kind of had their more serious players out, the Vikings really outplayed the Seahawks pretty significantly, I thought. And, and I, I, you can kind of see the change in body language. If you watched the Seahawks go in for halftime, they felt, you could tell they felt bullied. They, they didn't look like they wanted to play anymore. They came out in the first uh, drive of the game. Somebody gets a big TFL or a sack or something like that. And they're like pounding their chest in the end zone like it's a playoff game. Like the hype was unreal, right? Hey, we're back on football. It's the beginning of the season, right? I get it. You're amped up. By the end of it, they just did not look like that, that same energy had been maintained. And I think that was some of the physicality of the game. So shout outs to all those guys up front and to Ty Chandler for bowling dudes over and playing really, really physically. Um, I Also, I, we got to talk about Ivan Pace. Ivan Pace, who was one of those guys, when I came into this game, I thought, okay, he's a smaller player. He's showing out at training camp. We're, we're not being quite as physical, right? We're saving our physicality. We're not trying to injure each other. Um, but in a preseason game, that intensity ramps up a little bit. How do you respond? And Ivan Pace responded by being the most physical guy on the field. He was a total little cannonball out there. He's popping offensive linemen, filling in gaps. He was so quick downhill. Um, when I talked about Troy Dye, in camp, you know, I talked about this long, arduous development curve of going from like slow and wrong and then being right, but then you're fast. And but then when you try to speed it up, you get wrong again, and then you're fast and right. 
Ivan Pace was already fast and right. He was in the right gaps. He was shooting gaps, making plays, getting tackles for a stop. Um, By far, the biggest winner on the defense was Ivan Pace. And he kind of got to see what we've all been talking about. People like me who just went to watch camp, people like Harrison Smith, who speak from, obviously, a place of greater authority. Uh, everybody who has watched the Vikings have been like, oh, whoa, this number 40 kid is awesome. And now that got put on TV for everybody to see that rules. Uh, we were all very curious to see how Jordan Addison did. Um, he had he had a fine day. He had a I, I'm going to call it two catches. Only one of them counted because uh, the there was like a toe tapper on the sideline that Jordan Addison caught. That would have been an awesome, awesome play. And he did get his toes down. No ifs, ends, or buts about it. But it was called incomplete, and Kevin O'Connell didn't bother to challenge. He later said that he just didn't feel he had a good enough look at it, and they had to get the play in. So that's an operational issue. And I guess let me take a minute to talk about that, because I think it's easy to miss. But if you really closely watch, there's a lot of guys trying to communicate and guys kind of not really being said all the way and, and showing confusion before the snap. Um, those checks and stuff, there were uh, play clock issues and getting the play in and, and just a little bit of disorganization before the snap in these. That's preseason and there's definitely time to iron that stuff out, but it's something that, you know, I, that uh, Jaron Hall actually called out when he talked to the media after the game and said that there was some stuff that like, you know, we had some trouble getting plays in and getting the communication, right? That operational stuff. Look, you, you don't put any cap space. You don't put any draft picks into it, but it's this really, really important thing that you have to spend the time to get on the same page about all of that stuff and have that proper sense of urgency. Um, another standout, not so not the youngest player on the team. He's a third year guy, but Patrick Jones, Patrick Jones started out with an awesome tackle for loss by beating inside, slashing inside to a B gap as the edge rusher, just getting inside the tackle and making the play at the line of scrimmage. I think it was a tackle for no gain, actually. Um, Got a sack, got all kinds of pressure. He had uh, a very versatile role. I'm like getting kind of stoked on Pat Jones and what the Vikings can do with Pat Jones. And that edge room is getting very interesting. Uh, Davenport, Hunter, and DJ Wanham all did not participate. So um, that kind of tells you where they're at, where where the depth chart's at. It's sort of Pat Jones is at at that fourth role, and then Luigi Villan trying to carve out a fifth one for himself. And I think he got closer to that. I think he made progress toward that today. Um, The guy I I can't wait to talk to you about, though, special teams standout Najee Thompson. I had him on the show a couple of months ago. I've been sort of singing his praises. Uh, It's like a halfway tongue-in-cheek thing, but there is something serious to it where... Look, if you're CB6 uh, you're and you're making the roster as the sixth corner or the seventh corner even has happened on the Vikings, you're not going to get in from scrimmage, right? You you need like three, four injuries, and honestly, they're going to start looking at street free agents before they look at you. You're here to play special teams. You're here to be on the kick coverage units and on the punt coverage units. That is your job. Najee Thompson had a phenomenal punt gun where he beats his jammer and makes an awesome tackle. Uh, he had an, another one where he beats his jammer and he gets down to uh, the 
returner who lets the ball bounce. It gets a decently lucky bounce, but when he has to chase down and down at the one-yard line, so he ends up downing the Seahawks at the one-yard line again in the first half. And then he has another play later that didn't turn into anything productive because the punt was to the other side of the field, but they were doubling him. They were double-jamming him, which they did not start the game doing. The Seahawks had to react to the, the mastery and prowess of Najee Thompson in special teams. Um, and he still defeated that double, and was going to be able to to cut out to choke off like so much space on the field. So when you're the jammer on the non-punt side, so they were punting to the left and he was he was or he was the gunner, not the jammer. He was the gunner from the right. Your job is to get downfield and then squeeze and close down that space. The closer you get to where the returner catches the ball, the less space he has to work to set up cuts and stuff and the, and the the skinnier every single lane and every single gap gets. When you're the coverage team, that advantage is you. So it is an important job to go down there and beat that double that way. Um, and Thompson was all over it. It's It takes a lot on special teams to make the, t- the roster on only special teams. And Najee Thompson will have to. He didn't even get in as a corner, at least not that I saw. And and I don't think that he will get in outside of like the last preseason game, uh, you know, fourth quarter when, when it's all over. But that was really fun <laughs> just because of you know hey come on locked on vikings podcast and you show out in training camp it's Najee thompson and brandon powell baby who also had a, a pretty good day alongside jalen rager interesting battle we will talk about position battles a little bit later in the show and uh just now we're gonna get into some guys who maybe didn't have so good of a day before we do that however it's hiring season when we get into that kind of fall hiring surges everybody's trying to make that last push toward like a good fiscal year. Um, And that means you're going to probably have to go through some hiring stuff. So if you're somebody who is in charge of that and you're not using LinkedIn jobs, what are you doing, man? Uh, LinkedIn jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. And that's important. You have to find the right person for you and your job and your circumstances. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates that have the right skills and the things about those candidates that matter to you. So go to LinkedIn jobs and post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. Moving right along, let's get to some of the bad news from the preseason game. I, I guess the worst news is there There was one injury that, uh, or on the Vikings, at least that I noticed, that was William Quenku, who went down after uh, a run play, I think, in the third quarter. And he was having a rough night. Um, He got two penalties on special teams and he made some mistakes in run defense. And he's somebody that just like cannot afford that kind of struggle, especially on special teams. Again, like if he is making the roster, he's LB five, right? He would be only the fifth one Um, because the top four linebackers are very, very, very set. I I didn't think Die had the best day either, so maybe there's like becoming vulnerability there. But I mean, Troy Die like never ran with the threes or anything like that. It was like a very clear divide between those top four guys and everybody else fighting for practice squad slots and special teams slots and stuff. And Quenku is one of those guys that hey, if he really shows out on special teams, he might be able to take one like carve out a roster spot for himself. Um, but getting two penalties on special teams is not the way to do that, and then getting hurt sucks even worse. Um. In a, in a way, kind of opposite of Ty Chandler, you could really tell when it was D. Wynn McBride out there. Now, I thought he, he 
got more into the rhythm of the game as it went on. But he made some misreads. There was one play that really bugged me. It was very early. Um, that was a mid-zone play. So the Vikings don't run wide zone that I know. And I, and I don't think wide zone is a particularly popular thing in the NFL anymore. And sort of for exactly this reason. Um, so the difference between wide zone and mid zone, we're just talking about outside zone runs, right? Um, is if you think about a tackle versus an edge rusher and that block on a run, a run play to the outside, that edge rusher is almost always going to line up outside of the tackle. He'll be at a five tech or even out at like a wide nine or something, a seven tech if there's a tight end. Um, so he'll always be outside the tackle. And so for the tackle to get a reach block on him, let's say it is an outside, a true wide zone run Kubiak style. Um, if he's going to get that, if the running back's going to have that edge, the tackle needs to reach block that edge rusher. So that means you're going up against, you know, Joey Bosa and trying to get to his outside shoulder and block him. That's an insanely hard thing to do. And it's not really that particularly difficult. As long as you can neutralize that guy some way, you can get around the edge of the rest of the guys. So mid zone says, screw that. Like if you can get the reach block, if they cut inside you and you get it, then get it. Great. That's awesome. But nine times out of 10, just drive him out of the play and we'll take the B gap. And that's exactly what was happening on that play. I think it was Vidarian Lowe drove the edge rusher out of the play, but McBride ran it like it was outside zone and brought that edge rusher back into the play. And that's the kind of read you cannot be making in the NFL. Um, so stuff to learn, right? That's some of that stuff that happened. Uh, and the run game in general when he was in just didn't do as well. But I think part of that too is that we had like, now we've got like Delorio and Jack Snyder and, you know, guys that are firmly third teamers rather than the second team line. So I don't hold all of that against him, but the, the two guys that did not have good days that I think are probably going to get the most press about it. Lewis seen had a rough one. Um, he had a, a really cool play. I think he had the first tackle of the game where he really knifed in it and, the closing speed was really on display and you can see that he has that speed in that range and the athleticism that you just really want in a safety. And it was awesome, but he got bowled over twice by Zach Charbonnet. There was another tackle that he took too high and missed. I I think there were like three or four tackles just that I noticed with my live watching eye. Uh, and there were a lot of plays where he was slow to come over the top. There was a big catch that I don't think was on him. I think it was on Ivan pace, um, not getting back wide far enough on a, on a play action fake, you know, he kind of gets sucked up as the, and, and plays the run fit. And then as you back off, he backed up sort of still staying in the middle of the field rather than widening out. And it left this huge throwing window, but scene was also late to that. Um, I don't think it was his fault, but he was late to it. And I think that was the story of the night was, Hey, this play wasn't necessarily like on him, but I wish he was there a little faster. Now, I with safeties, I have to give you a million grains of salt uh, because I, I can't see the all 22. So I can't see what he's doing on most of the play. So I'll, I'll go back into it later. But the missed tackles, um, can't deny that. And then the other guy that had a really, really, really rough night, Andrew Booth. I went on the postcast with Sam Ekstrom, which, by the way, if you go to Lockdown Minnesota Sports YouTube channel after every game, Sam and I will be breaking down that game live. You can come chat and hang out uh, for about 20 minutes after every game. And you can also find that on this podcast feed locked on Vikings as well. Uh, if you are an audio listener, you already got that downloaded to your phone. Um, but 
the real bummer for me was Andrew Booth. And here's the deal. I might be being too harsh on Andrew Booth, but he got cooked for a long touchdown by Jake Bobo, an undrafted rookie for Seattle. And that is kind of unacceptable for a second year guy uh, who had a second round pedigree. That's just not good enough. And and Booth has been very solid. He has his spot on the depth chart has not changed. He's been with the twos all of camp, but on the postcast, we sort of speculated. Um, what if he might be on a bit of a hotter seat than we think? And I know giving up on a second year player after two years would be kind of asinine. And would Quasey do that on a guy that he drafted? Would he, you know, get brutally cut ties with, you know, longtime beloved cornerstones of the franchise? Yeah, he's done that a bunch. But what about guys he drafted? That's always a little bit different, uh, a different question. Um, and and so I, I think it, it's not a likely thing, but it is becoming a possible thing. But maybe I'm being too harsh. I think that was his only target of the entire game. Um, so and, and he played plenty of reps. So again, si- similar to his scene, I want to watch it a little bit more closely, but I don't think I loved what I saw there. And it's the same thing that's always gotten Booth since Clemson. It was a double move. It was Sluggo. He jumped the slant really hard and he got killed up up top. And it's just because he's always going to jump it. And you're either going to, it was either fake or it wasn't, but he's always going to jump it. And you, you just can't put that guy on the field. That's too predictable. That's too easily exploitable. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a problem of his eyes. It's a problem above the neck, not a problem. I mean, the, the health and, and his knee injuries and all that stuff, that's its own thing, but it's a problem above the neck. I don't want them to give up on him. Of course, you know, I don't want the Vikings to have taken a second round corner and not have that guy like Kellen Mond his way off the team. But it's I'm starting to fear it. I guess I'll I'll, we're on notice a little bit. Hey, if he goes out next week and has a great preseason game and and we see him or he does great in the joint practices, then I think we're we're off of this. Right. Then then we can leave that in the past. We're just sort of beginning to embark down this path just a little bit. Um, so that leaves us with a bunch of position battles that we're talking about in battles for roster spots, like perhaps Andrew Booth versus Joan Williams for a roster spot, right? What if you can only keep one of those guys who's winning that battle? Um, it's, it, Muse versus Munt, Mullins versus Hall. So we'll get into all of those and update you on how the, the preseason game has affected them. So rolling right along with this locked on Vikings Game recap episode. We get to do these now. We get to do like 20 of them. This rocks. <laughs> let's let's do some updates. And I guess we should talk about the quarterbacks, right? Uh, Nick Mullins versus Jaron Hall. That, that is nominally a position battle, although Nick Mullins has a firm hold on that backup quarterback job. But I, I went into halftime thinking, I didn't think Mullins had a good game. Now, a lot of people liked the game that he had, and he had some pretty fun throws. Uh, to the, the sideline throw to Addison was really fun Threw a great touchdown to Nick Muse. That was a really awesome one. Um, and for that reason, I think, I think you probably can say that Mullins like won the day, but I don't think either quarterback really moved the needle. Like whatever the Vikings went into this thinking about their backup quarterback situation, they probably think the exact same thing about their quarterback situation. I don't think anybody had an extreme day that changes anyone's mind. Um, and, and what bugged me about Mullins was that he was 
I don't want to say panicky. I think that's too harsh. But he was double clutching a lot. He was hesitant. I'll use the word hesitant. Um, I am very curious to see what he was looking at down the field because it looked there was a lot of kind of he's going to go, but then he didn't. And then he would double clutch. And then by the time he was done double clutching and, and he was winding up ready to throw again, the window had closed. So then he had to actually pull it down and either scramble or try to flip it away to a running back. And this is where Ty Chandler came in a lot. There were a lot of checkdowns in that, but they were like late in the play checkdowns. And, and I think the the whole operation went slowly. Is that all Mullins' fault? Is he just a slow, dumb thinker? No, of course not. But uh, that seemed to be where the offense was sort of struggling to get things going. Moved the ball great on the ground when they were bulldozing dudes, but the 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 move through the air was, I'll, I'll say, to be nice, I'll call it inconsistent. Then Jaron Hall came out, and the halftime switcheroo to the rest of the third team was this sort of like total catastrophe. Um, guys, I mean, if you want real losers of the game, we saw some guys like get cut uh, and they probably were going to get cut, but we sort of saw that manifest in a real way instead of just a projected way uh, with guys like Christian Delorio giving up a sack, Jack Snyder getting beat a whole bunch, uh, Jared Williams getting beat a whole bunch at the very end of the game. He he played like the last drive or two and, and did poorly. Um, Josh Sokol gave up a pressure guys up front that are not going to be on the team. Now, Sokol, I kind of thought maybe he, he could push. I put him in that William Quenku spot where, Hey man, if you like kill it in the preseason, we might carve out a spot for you. And, and Sokol might end up on the practice squad and be activated a whole bunch and find his way onto the active roster someday in the season. Anyways, um, but for those other guys, you know, the Jared Williams and the Christian Delorios and the, the Alan Ali types that yeah, maybe aren't going to be out there, um, that are longer shots to make the roster gave up a ton of instant pressure and it flushed Jaron Hall out of the pocket quite a bit. I again, reiterate that doesn't excuse at all of the offensive issues. Some of that, that pressure is on, uh, Jaron Hall. For example, if you've got a flood running one way, you should try to manipulate your scramble. If you're going to go into scramble mode, scramble that way, right? If you got pressure coming straight at you, it's not always an option. But when there is an option, you should be judicious about which way you're you're trying to make this play happen. And I think for Hall, honestly, there were times where it's like, man, just should have taken off and run. He just should have. Uh, but ultimately, the offense was just sort of non-functional when Hall went in, and I don't think most of that was his fault. I think most of that was on the O-line. Uh, and the protection in general, stuff like Nick Muse missing blocks, and you know Ben Sims and Colin Thompson not exactly being effective blockers. Uh, it was interesting offensively. The Vikings did go with 12 personnel most of the most of the night. I think like it felt like about 60-40 if I were to eyeball it. 12 personnel versus 11 personnel, and they didn't run any 21 because CJ Ham wasn't in the game. Um, they put him on ice, so they didn't run any other 21 stuff. So you saw a lot of 12 personnel runs and bowling over, you know, the, the Seahawks defense, which I hope that's what we get to see on the, uh, on, on, in the regular season, but with, you know, Hawkinson and Oliver, 
Um, but for Hall, it feels like, like, I don't feel like I got to evaluate him very well. And if I really were going to evaluate him, I'd have to look at all of these pressured rollout plays and say, okay, did he invite that pressure? Did he scramble the way that I want him to? And those are like more nitpicky things than, you know, did he read the progression properly? He didn't even really get to get into the progression properly. So I want to wait on Jaron Hall a little bit. But I guess Nick Mullins made some throws that Jaron Hall doesn't really have uh, matching ones. Uh, so I guess you give the day to, to Nick Mullins. Speaking of Nick Muse, who gets the, uh, the, the big passing touchdown, he's going to be on all the posters and all the cool images. Um, but Nick Muse versus Johnny Munt. I thought Nick, so it, it's kind of on Muse to carve, to, to prove that the Vikings should make a fourth tight end spot for him. I think Johnny Munt is just ahead of him. Johnny Munt came out of the game earlier, um, and he does more, has a more all-around skill set than Nick Muse. So it's kind of on Nick Muse to say, hey, you need to keep a fourth tight end, and that fourth tight end should be me. And in the receiving game, I thought he did a, a good job of some of that. I think he had, I do think he had a drop, if I recall. I might be thinking about somebody else. Um, but as a blocker, it was very up and down and you don't want ups and downs as a blocker. The ups were really cool. He put a guy on skates once and it was awesome, but he also had some blown blocks and he gave up some pressures and stuff. Um, so you can't say you must have a fourth tight end because I am just so good. And then like have those inconsistencies. So I think overall it was, it wasn't like a bad day for Nick Muse, but it just wasn't good enough for the situation that he's in and what that requires. Um, and then you have Brandon Powell and Jalen Rager. Both of them did just fine as punt returners. Thayer Thomas, who is also in the punt returner job uh, competition, probably is not anymore. He gets credited with a muffed punt that was sort of an unlucky bounce of the, of the football, but he shouldn't have been in that position. So he went up to fair catch the ball. And then there were a lot of bodies around. So he, at the last minute, tried to back away and say, get away from the ball. That's a really bad way to do it. You cannot make that decision at the last minute because there are lots of white jerseys around that ball. And guess what? The ball bounces and you can't predict where it's going to go. So letting that letting that punt go is fine, but you have to make that signal and tell your teammates to get away from that thing and you have to get away from that thing. So doing that at the last minute when you don't have time to get away from that thing, I think was a really big error and it ended up turning almost into a touchdown. But thankfully when it counts as a muff punt, you can't advance it, which I didn't even know was a rule before this game, but I guess. Um, so that sort of bugged me. That was Thayer Thomas. Uh, but with with Powell and Rager, I think they went about blow for blow. I, I would say Rager probably had a slightly better day. Um, he had a more productive day. Brandon Powell also had a reasonably productive day. He did have one block that I thought was a blown block. He gave up a, uh, I think it was a, yeah, it was a TFL where he was supposed to, he was lined up as an inline, uh, sort of like where a tight end would line up. It was a very condensed formation. And he his job is to throw a hand into the edge rusher and then go find the outside linebacker, the safety or whatever. I think it's called Cat. Uh, but that's his job. That The guy he was supposed to block was blitzing and coming at him really quickly. So when he threw his weight into the defensive end. He couldn't get his body back around to get to that blitzing. Uh, I think it was a safety or a corner. And that guy got into the backfield and made the play. And in that situation, you have to be aware that that guy's blitzing and you have to know you have to abandon your first. You're just kind of throwing a hand into the guy because you usually have time to. Um, but your first responsibility is that D gap is what I would call it. Um, and so you, you have to stick to that. So that wasn't a great play as a blocker. 
But uh, from a special team standpoint, which is really what's going to decide this competition, and from an actual receiving standpoint, they both had their moments they can hang their hat on. Um, there's, I'm sure there's plenty more you guys want to know about this. I'll, I'll mull it over over the weekend. We'll talk later on Monday. We'll see if there's any major news we have to talk about as well. So I will see you all for that. And as always, Skull.